This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children to throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. When she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears, and then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So today's sermon illustration is John Van Ossel's bolt cutters. I don't think he's here. That's too bad. Um, it is important that these are John Van Ossel bolt cutters and not just any bolt cutters. Um, I mean, for one thing, when you have an old and well-loved tool, you can tell, right? I don't know if you can see from your seat, but the ends of these are very used, right? And it's important that it's John Van Ossel's uh, bolt cutters because uh, I had to borrow these from him. At the Edge House, uh, about a year ago, we bought a giant, one of those pop-up tent things um, to cover the outside patio area uh, because COVID and lots of things. Um, and it was great. Love this tent. Um, we got some locks and locked it down to some stakes so it wouldn't blow away, wouldn't be stolen. Um, excellent choice. We used it for a ton of time. Unlocked the locks, put it inside sometimes, put it back out, locked it back down. Unlocked it again, put it back out. Last week I was going to take it down. It did lose the key. <laughs> did lose the key. So, enter... <laughs> John Van Ossel's bolt cutters. Uh, luckily, the locks were cheap, so it's not a, not a huge loss. But uh, cut the locks, took the tent down. Can anyone guess what happened the next day? <laughs> did find the key in my pocket. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. They were pants I hadn't worn for like four months, so whatever. That's not the point of the story. And the point is, um, perhaps it seems obvious to you. Of course, John Van Ossel loaned us his bolt cutters. I mean, if I asked, he wasn't going to be like, no. You've met him. Of course he's going to say yes if he has them. 
But it's also significant to me, these bolt cutters, um, because they represent not just Mr. Van Osdell himself, um, but the Monday Morning Work crew, who so often give of their time and their skills and their efforts to fix things around here, and not just to fix things, but to rebuild things. The whole kitchen at the Edge House is from the Monday Morning Work crew. Um, they stripped it down to the studs and rebuilt it lo these many years ago. Our beloved board game table was built by Roy Johnson of the crew. These bolt cutters represent more than just, I was able to take my tent down that one day, right? To me, and maybe it's a stretch, but I don't think so. These bolt cutters are a symbol of the good works of that Monday morning work crew, but also of all of y'all. All the ways that you give of yourselves, those actions that you take because of your faith and of the Edge House students themselves as they live out their faith in the world. And so this brings me to James, of course. <laughs> I did tell you we were gonna talk about him. So love the book of James personally, um, but I'm not Lutheran. Uh, it's this tiny, tiny epistle. It's not very long. We don't really know who wrote it. Um, some people think it was the brother of Jesus, could be. Some think it was uh, James son Zebedee, could be. Could be some totally other person. Doesn't actually matter for this book. We don't really know when it was written. We don't know to whom it was written. Again, in this particular situation, doesn't really matter that much. What does matter is that this writer is really, really keyed into our actions, how we live out our faith. Um, Martin Luther was not a fan. Very much not a fan of the book of James. Um, he did call it a straw gospel or the epistle of straw. Uh, more uh, poetically, I really enjoyed that at one point he apparently said, uh, I almost wish I could throw it into the stove so at least the room would be warm. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I just find that delightful. Uh, it reminds me of how I feel about some parts of Ezekiel. And perhaps you have other bits of scripture that you're like, oh, I want it to be in here. Um, but he still found it worthy. In his own understanding of how scripture flowed, he very much kept it in his list. It wasn't really on him to choose what was in and out of scripture, but he decided to keep it in there. And it has to do with, he had this idea that um, there were parts of the, the New Testament that were more important, more authoritative, more powerful than other parts. He put the gospels, of course, he put the writings of Paul, sort of in this upper echelon, and then other stuff below it. Didn't mean it was bad, didn't mean it was wrong, didn't mean he really wanted to get rid of it, just it was less important than the life of Jesus in particular, right? Um, there's a, a way we talk about that in, uh, in scriptural interpretation, which is the canon within the canon. Perhaps that is something I've said to you before, I don't know. It's essentially the idea that there are bits of scripture that when we read them, oh, they hit us in the gut. We really feel it, or we read the rest of scripture through it. Our Jewish brothers and sisters would say that um, the bit in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, that is the core of Torah. And we read everything else through that, right? Perhaps you have bits of scripture that do that. There's a, a canon that's within that canon. That's, that's all he's talking about. Luther did say <laughs> he felt like the book of James contradicted Paul. Paul's got the whole thing about justification. You cannot earn your salvation. You've already got it. 
So you can't do better works, do good works to earn God's love, right? That's, Paul's very into that. Luther's very into that. And Luther looked at James and said, dude, faith without works is dead? I mean, is it? I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) That would be funny if he said that. Anyway, what I find really fascinating, though, is uh, this reading from James, everywhere that I was reading about it this week, uh, and weirdly in the Episcopal lectionary, there's one more verse that we didn't read that puts a really fine point on it. You think faith without works is dead is, is pretty intense. The next line is, show me your faith apart from your works. And I, by my works, will show you my faith. Sounds like it could be a cross stitch or something. Like It's really pithy. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I, by my works, will show you my faith. Yeah. This book is not contradicting Paul. It's talking about something different. James is saying the way we live our lives is inherently relational. John Van Alsdall loaned me these because we know each other. Not because I asked, but I knew to ask because I know him. And he could trust me with them, which is why I'm holding them very carefully and not dropping them on the floor. Right? The, the way we live our lives is, is about each other. We see each other. We know something about each other's lives. This is what James is talking about. James is also talking about how, and is very angry about how, Christians, many of us, are not practicing what we profess. We say various things. Do we do them? Are we actually loving our neighbors as ourselves? Anybody ever look at other Christians and go... You are not practicing what you profess, even internally. Do you ever look at yourself and think that? Yeah, a little bit. That's what James is talking about, too. Now, uh, James says how we act is everything. This is the, the sanctification part. It talks about justification. Jesus has already saved us all. We can't do anything to, to earn our salvation. Sanctification is the response. It's, oh, see that huh how do i respond now that i know that i am this loved as an example uh do you do you have a moment in your life you can remember when you suddenly realized how much your parents loved you i've had several of them but weirdly for me it was when i had my first kid and i was holding her and i went oh this is what (laughs) this is it right How do we respond to that, that sanctification? What do we do in response? And you'll notice when when James is talking about how frustrated he is that we are not living out, we are not doing the things we say we do. Another thing he's talking about is impact versus intention. We may mean well. I intend so well. How does it land? Does it land? I'll give you an example. Um, this last week, I was in uh, my very first small group of the semester uh, with some students in the LGBTQ Center. Uh, we're doing a spirituality group there. Uh, and of those five students who are present, 
yeah, five students who were present, every single one of them was in some phase of deconstructing the Christian faith they came up with. Every one of them. Some of them, a couple of them were like, well, I mean, I'm not thrilled, but I'm still going to church. One of them was all the way completely atheist, just no, done, done. And it was all because of the behavior of the Christians around them who they cared about. It's hard to hear. I don't want to hear that. How does what we do land with the people around us? How does what we do reflect what's inside us? How do we enact the faith that we hold? Now, I want to tell you some, some good stories. That's, that, I should say, that was a good story because they felt they were able to be honest and vulnerable and talk about their process, right? That's important. I'm going to tell you some, some lovely stories about the students at the Edge House because I don't get to talk about them that much um, and y'all don't see them very much and they're lovely and amazing and I love them so much. Uh, and also, people are back on campus and it's so exciting. <laughs> There's people around. Um, so I'm going to tell you a couple of stories here. Um, first, I think back in May, one of our students uh, was texting me. I, was, I think it was out of town or something and they were texting me and saying, I have got this medical problem, and I'm pretty sure I need to go to the doctor. I'm pretty sure I need, may need to go to the emergency room. I don't, how do I, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. How do I, how do I get there? I can't afford an ambulance, and it's, you know, it wasn't that far. I was like, I got you. Hang on. So I messaged our listserv, and another student said, I got it. Like, just immediately. I got him. I'll go get him. Where am I going? Connect me. I texted the two of them. He went to go get them. Took them to the hospital. They're fine. That student was totally willing to drop what he was doing. Just, he didn't know this other student very well, but he did. Got in the car, took him to the hospital. Maybe that seems like a small thing. It's not. He's living out his faith. On a goofier level, uh, we have this brand new student who, bear with me, now says this all the time. They say, Hey, you know how all old people have little metal frogs and turtles in their pockets that they give you when you meet them? Do you know this? Does anybody know? I'm just curious. Quick poll. No? Okay. <laughs> That's what they said. So you know how that happens, they said. I said, no, but okay. Uh, well, I couldn't get metal turtles or frogs, but I found this company and I got a bunch of little, um, little styrofoam mushrooms. So here's a friendship mushroom. Now we're friends. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks, friend. So now we have this friendship mushroom thing that is happening at the end house. Um, I don't know where that came from. The delight, though, right? The excitement, the offering of relationship, the offering of friendship. That's a sign of faith. There's another student who uh, has since graduated. Uh, this also seems like a small thing, but he would always keep an eye on the water pitchers at the table at Nosh. And as soon as they got less than halfway down, he was up and out filling them again. Just, where'd, where'd Seth go? He's filling the water pitchers again. He wanted to keep us hydrated. He wanted to make sure. And that seems like a small thing, but man, when you run out of water at the table and there's 20 people in the room, like, hey, can somebody, can somebody, he just did it. Because his attitude was, this is easy, I see it, I'm going to do it. 
Do you remember a few years ago, I'm sure you do, we had those God work our hands, God's work our hands checks that Pastor Heidi handed out? Do you remember that she went to Nosh that night and took them to the students? There were 25 students there that night. Every one of them got a check. And every one of them, I heard all their stories, every one of them held that check with the weight that it deserved, just like y'all did, and thought about it and gave those monies away in such beautiful ways. Some of them were to people that they knew who were struggling. Some of them were to organizations. It was gorgeous. And I'm sure that there are some people who might have said, well, they're college students. They don't have any money. They're just going to cash them. I mean, I would have said maybe they need it if they don't have any money. They gave them away. Beautiful. One of our students, uh, Daniel, is one of our greatest evangelists. And I'm not kidding. Almost every time a new person comes in the door, they say, oh, great. How are you? Welcome. How'd you hear about us? Daniel. Ran into Daniel randomly at a coffee shop on campus, ice skating. I don't know. (laughs) He invites people all the time. He grew up in the church. He's a man of deep faith. He's going to seminary now. This other student, Nat, who graduated a number of years ago, avowed atheist. For a couple of years there, new people would come in the door, and we'd say, oh, great, how are you? Who, how'd you hear about us? Nat. Invitation to community. Another recent grad, um, Patrick, is devoting himself to therapy. He has uh, just graduated with his uh, psychology degree. He's going to go be a psychologist. And his life goal, he is so clear on this, what he wants to do with his job and with his life is to develop a a psychology practice, a therapy practice, specifically for black men. He himself is a black man, and he is aware of how there's a whole other life experience that when you can look at somebody in the eyes and say, I know that you have this same experience, more transformation can happen. It's been his experience of this. And also there's lots of statistics that show that black men don't go to therapists as very often. So like, maybe we can help this process. Therapy's great. Patrick wants to devote his life to this, right? Similarly, another student is trying to figure out what he's doing with his life. He's an aerospace engineer, and he's like, I mean, I've got lots of options. I could work for the military. I could work for NASA. There's all these places I could go. But what do I want to do? How do I give this away? And that is literally his motivating factor. This student Speaking of money, college students don't have a lot. They're not known for being wealthy people. This guy had his first co-op, got his first paycheck from his co-op, and sent a $1,000 check to the Edge House. So I called him. Do you need to do that? Yeah, yeah. Y'all have given me a lot already, and I just want to support what you're doing. This kid's going places. (laughs) And then there was a time, uh, I won't go into the details, but we discovered that there was a young woman who'd been living in the basement of the Edge House for two nights. We didn't know. That's a fascinating experience. She was clearly running away from someone. She didn't tell us a lot, but it was pretty obvious there was something like that going on. The morning we sort of discovered her, she came up and Kiri made her breakfast. She was there. Later that night, Emily sat with her in the basement for a couple hours, talking, trying to support her, help her feel safe. We got her a hotel room. 
just living it out, right? Gavin once showed up incredibly angry to a small group session, was angry the whole time, left angry. I don't remember what it was about, but he knew he could bring his whole self to that space. Remember last week, Pastor Heidi was talking about taking off our masks. He did not have a mask on that day because he knew he was safe. The last story I want to tell you is that I was talking to one of our uh, new students this summer who was supposed to go into her co-op this fall, and uh, it's a stressful situation. Trying to find those jobs, trying to get somebody to want you to take their job, it's a whole thing. And she was super stressed out, very first co-op. I'm messaging her, she's like, I, just, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know, Ugh. I was like, listen, wait, you're in aerospace, right? Aerospace, same guy. I was like, I've got some aerospace students. Let me, can I connect them with you? You guys can talk about it. I ended up on the text list. <laughs> Long text. I don't even know what they were about. Uh, but they talked her down. They talked her, here's, here's the process, blah, blah, blah. At the end of it, one of them said, hey, listen, I'm just at the end of my co-op. Let me just put in a good word. So as Macy's coming back from her co-op in upstate New York, Yasmin is going to upstate New York to take that job which in and of itself is a beautiful and amazing thing. Like, how fantastic that they were able to share this information, they were able to help share this job, beautiful. Additionally, Yasmin is trans and is living with a family who is not supportive of that. She's not been able to articulate and to be herself. And now she's living in upstate New York, and she is. I was just texting with her the other day, and she, it's, it's the dumbest metaphor, but it's, it is like she's blooming. She was a bud, and now it's like opening to the sun. It's, it's beautiful to behold. For her and for all of these students, when I see them do these things, look at them seeing each other and taking risks and doing things, acting out their faith. These people are doing what one student calls applied Jesus. <laughs> I love this like applied physics it's the application of the the cutters to the lock they are applying jesus to their lives james calls us to apply our faith not just to feel it or think it it's it's physical it's intentional it's not just thoughts and prayers it's action and it's not just orthodoxy which is like the right belief it is orthopraxy, right action, right practice, action that's built on love and seeing the face of God on each other, applied love, applied Jesus. It's like our daily lives are the laboratory where we experiment with love and where we build like working models. Applied Jesus is physical on the ground and it's what I see those students doing all the time. Even those who aren't Christians, those who've rejected the faith that has rejected them, they're still applying love, applying the divine to their interactions and even to their own souls. And y'all are doing it too. In so much of your lives, both the stuff that we do here in this space, in this, from this church, but also at your work, in your schools, 
where you're interacting with other people in the world. And you have been applying Jesus for the last 12 years, pouring out yourselves on our students every day, whether you know it or not. It's abundant and life-giving. So thank you for that. This is the gospel. These good works reflecting Jesus' care for the poor, the outsider, and the rejected. This is the gospel. What you're doing at Taft and Habitat and on campus, no matter what Brother Luther would say, those acts, those good works are the gospel. There's a song we sing at Nosh. There is work to be done. There is work to be done. With these hands, this heart and mind. There is work because Jesus laid down his life for us. Locks that need cutting, people who need liberating, because God loves them, all of them, and all of us. Praise be to God.